nothing like money where, you know, in, in the field that money works the best. That's all I could say, you know? It's a good tool to have. Yeah, it's a it's a great fucking tool, actually, to uh, quote myself. You know, Kenny Newman, uh, we, Kenny and I were talking one day, and uh, I said, money is a great fucking tool, man. And he wrote it down. He's wanted me to repeat it. And now he's got it on his refrigerator. I mean, I think that might be a great idea for some merch, you know? Yeah, you could do a a, a shirt, yeah, that says that. <laughs> yeah, you know. And then, you know, because like there's nothing that nothing that replaces money in the world that money works the best in, you know. So if you want to buy something or sell something, whatever, there's nothing that replaces money in that. Now, as they say, money cannot buy you love. And uh, to quote Errol Flynn and uh, uh, David Lee Roth, you know, for those people, they just don't know where to shop. But (laughs) I kind of disagree with that. Uh, welcome everybody especially I want to welcome Mar- Michael Michael you haven't been here since uh, uh, pre-pandemic days or pandemic days so welcome I always love your opinions um, you you know to say the least uh, you're one of the least outspoken people I know so it's always yeah. good to have you <laughs> he probably came here thinking I'm not here and I won't make fun of him uh, no, that, well, no, that didn't even occur to me. We're just gonna have to see his background. That's it. You know, you'll be living in his space soon. Yeah. And what's going on now? I thought we were streaming. I guess we're not streaming live on custom streaming services. Um, my red recording light is flashing. Yeah. Well, no, we're recording the meeting, and now I want to. You know, of course, you know we've got hundreds of. Uh, uh, well, we've got at least ten followers. No, we've got hundreds of followers. Hundreds, hundreds of people. Uh, even on LinkedIn, we we had like over a hundred impressions. I don't really know what that means. Uh, um, when I looked at the stats on how many people were actually looking at it, you know, uh, from. Uh, LinkedIn. I think they might have gotten this confused with a, you know, a porno channel, and then they clicked on the porno channel and found out it was us, and they left immediately. You know, I don't know, <laughs> but we're here. So, welcome everybody. Um, uh, interesting day. You know, Super Bowl is over. Uh, conventions are coming and going. Is there anything anybody wants to speak about before I uh, add some topics to the mix? You know anywhere to get some gold high tops? Oh my God! <laughs> you know, I try not to. I try, as you know, we really, we we really try not to go to politics with this show. And I've been, you know, it's so okay. hard right yeah, now. But do we need to have an intervention for Kurt's gamble problem? <laughs> That's it. Well, he's yeah. not gambling. <laughs> But he's doing gamble, so you're right. You know, probably a good idea. How many do you have now? How many? How many gamble consoles do you own? Four EX fifty sixes and one HC forty, and one EX and the HC forty are fully restored. I'm doing number seven right now, which was Aerosmith. Wow, that'll, very that'll very be cool. that'll be up and ready to do the Seattle festival stuff if anybody wants one or Seattle. Go on. Isn't that where you guys knocked Madonna off her chair? I was in 10. <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with that. 
I just got out. I just got out of the car like twenty minutes ago, driving from Bend. So did you get a uh, did you get a three D printer to print the little fader ends and caps you were gonna do? <laughs> not yet. I can't find the part number for the. It's not a shadow switch. It's made by Tone Luck. And they can't tell from the picture or any records what the part number was. But I think it's exactly the same thing that's on a Paragon. So if somebody knows the part number or a source for the clear lens push button switches on a Paragon, that's what I'm after. Well, you, there must be, I'm sure there's a Google face, uh, Google group about that, you know, Paragon knobs or something. Well, like I talked that. to Chris Mitchell about it, and that's about as far as I've been able to get. He doesn't know. I bought all the Paragon parts and stuff like that were around when they went out of business. Do you think he'd know the part number? He very well could. He might yeah. even have a copy of the manual. Yeah, there's there's no mention of the part in any oh, gamble yeah. literature. Well, which he is has a bunch of those consoles still sitting in the back room at Claire that they don't take them out anymore. Right. I wonder Wayne why. Paul, I, I wonder Paul why they don't take them out anymore. Up and going again. There's people out with them right now. Yeah, Wayne's Wayne's got his up and out yep. there with. Uh, uh, yeah. That guy that he mixes. Yeah, and I just saw another guy's getting his uh, H3000 completely recapped to get it out on the road again. So not quite dead yet. That takes like six guys to to move that console. Why does anybody care? I point at it and tell them where it goes, and it weighs the same whether I point at a digital console or whether I point at a (laughs) game. You have levitating powers, eh? (laughs) I just point at it, and a bunch of guys show up and put it up there. And then and then, and then you got to roll those other three racks of shit in to put next to it, right? Have you seen anybody's digital front of house lately? There's you three know what? shit with everybody's tour. You know what? I was looking at I was looking at front of house the other day, and they had a I don't remember what the console was to be honest with you, but all I saw was this triple rack full of stuff, and I yep. thought, oh my god! <laughs> so, so coming from the band world, because I'm a corporate guy. Is the stuff in the consoles just not good enough, or are people really picky? I mean, tell me about that a little bit. Why? Why would you bring all that stuff with you? And I know there's a good reason. If you're mixing for me, the show. if I'm on digital, I I just don't like the effects. Number one, the verbs and stuff really just don't sound. It's not universal, but a lot of them don't sound that great. I think, and there's something about turning a knob on a compressor that just kind of. The feel is better, I think. And as as a whole, how are preamps? Because I'm a Yamaha guy. You know, I do corporate shows. I live on Yamaha consoles. I've never done, I've played with a Digico once, but I've never actually done a show on one. I've never even turned on a Midas before. Um, how are preamps? Because, you know, your, your people, when you're out, they're singing in them and, you know, standing on them and kick drums and everything else. And I've noticed differences with vocals and kick drums it, just in Yamaha consoles. So... This is good for me to hear because well, me, you do you do a whole you live in a whole other world than I do. <laughs> me personally, I would say that you know most of the for digital, the caveat, most of the preamps are reasonably good, um, but they don't compare to an analog pre in my mind, especially for music, for corporate, navy stuff like that, you know, and even some broadcast. I would think it basically okay. Um, I mean, we use them all the time. You know, we. Use, didn't most of our stuff's digital too so you know i i, I use the gamble when i can but uh, i like Midas. are you using what what yamaha pre's have you been using i don't have any yamaha desks well other than old ls9s but we all know that's not even 
Bruce, because whether you have a Mirage, you know, have the uh, the uh, Rio, or whether you got the um, RPIO. So I live on basically CL fives with uh, thirty two twenty four Rios. Oh, that's a yeah. you know. Next Corporate time you the spec, why don't you do a DM7 compact with an RPIO? I have not, you know, nobody that I know that I work with has a DM7 yet. They sent them back to get the fix or whatever. They haven't gotten them back yet, but I am looking forward to spending the day on one and I'll go in the shop and play with it before I'll take it on a show. Cause I just, I, I hate experimenting on a show. You know, I'm not there to learn how to use a console. I'm there to mix. Somebody's going to come hang out with me and go play with one out here. Yeah, where, where are there you? There you go. You got an invitation to go to Nashville. Nashville. They, they, who well, you're, I love Nashville, but it's so damn far away for me. It's only that far on the map. <laughs> where are you, Bruce? Where are you located? Los Angeles. Oh, we well, can come up here. I've got a whole. Yeah, you're in Seattle or you're in Portland, right? Just outside Seattle. of Portland? Seattle. That's a pretty area. Oh, Seattle. Pretty area up there. That's for sure. So, no, but Kenny, I the... are, are, is, is Yamaha shipping those racks yet? They, yes. are, are they are they shipping now again the RPIOs? Yes. And they say that they'll be completely out of back all back orders by the end of March. Woohoo. Wow. There you go and that, if you wait till March then you can get a discount then they'll start discounting. I love it. That's April they discount. Oh, April. Yeah, that's it. April went the money. You know on the on the land of the preamp now, I could be incorrect in this, but I've used many different consoles, including the Yamahas. And, mm -hmm. um, and the preamps, I've always been intrigued that if you have, if, if dollars are not considered, but I study all the, the circuitries and have a look at all the difference to see why they sound different. Um, so I've always reckoned that preamps have been well designed since the 70s. It's, it's, just which one you like the sound of. Now, obviously, there's other things that come into criteria, how, how much headroom you want that preamp to have. So if you have a PM2000 or a 1532 from the early 80s, they've got huge amounts of headroom. Um, and then if you go to the PM4 and PM3, they've got less headroom. Um, so that you I get, remember that, yeah. Um, to get a better signal-to-noise ratio going on. But... But there's more to the console sound than the, than the preamp is what I'm getting at. The console itself has a sound as well. So like the Digico sound big and fat. Like I mean, if you, like the AMEC Langley board, I used it a couple of times live. And um, it's, a, it's, it's a big sounding board. It's still based on, seems to be based on double five three twos and TLA-72s, if you get the old sounder class, I had an old 800B. So in my workshop one day, back in the, back a long time ago, I put, I had a Soundcraft 400, which was the really old one out of the, out of the 70s or early 80s. I had an 800B, I had a PM-1800, I had a 1532 and a PM-3000. So I got, I, I, I got a, um, I sat them all down and I put, I got the same level in and I had to listen to all of them through the same speaker system. And there was no doubt the 1532 was the biggest sounding. The best top end was actually the PM1800 and the 3000 was in the middle bit. And you could make it sound big, but it didn't sound as big as the... And you know which console actually 
it didn't have the headroom, but the, which actually sounded very close to being the biggest sounding as well was the old Soundcraft 400. 800 bs is a nice sounding ball, but they got haven't got a lot of headroom. I, and so I was quite interested in all of the different sounds, of, and I use no graphics, no nothing, just straight out of the console into an amplifier and straight into a speaker. And um, I used to do all those sort of. Uh, I did completely rebuild the 400, but it used to be the uh, the local television station's news console. The 400. It was an 18 channel 400. And then you get into all the model, and everyone seems to. Uh, so I think that sometimes in the land of the preamps, it's it's how they put them together, and then they sound big, or they don't sound big. I mean, I don't know what other people think, but when you get to the, I, I quite like all the, the Yamaha stuff. I don't think there is. I think they're just a clean, very open sounding preamp which you just use. Um, All right. when, well, Wayne, when... I'll tell you what, I have an idea. Let's get out the phone book and you could start reading from A all the way to Z on the next show. We will have the, we, no, Sorry. I'm kidding aside. I got a bit, I got a bit excited. I'm kidding aside preamps. about preamps. Quick, you know, quick question uh, too. Has anybody heard that stage tech, that German console that doesn't have any mic pre's? I've heard of it. I have not heard it though. Oh, that wasn't a joke. I thought that was a joke. Like, why did the chicken cross the road or something like that? No. <laughs> oh, it's they're using it on uh, Formula One. <laughs> well, the engines are loud enough, you know. They don't but need a preamp. Question is, you know, on on a, that the question is, why do we need if we're doing ones and zeros into the console? Why do we need a mic pre to take out the one point four volts to convert it to ones and zeros? Well, there's a mic company making mics with digital out i can't remember who it was i just saw it several of them do that you know mostly they're for usb out and go to you know laptops for stream for um for streaming you know but this was more of a higher this is like more of a pro market kind of thing wow now, they've been able to make DACs uh that small or analog to digital converters that small is amazing and it runs on phantom power or I don't know much about it. I just stumbled into it like a couple of days ago. Yeah. Well, the point is, is that if you if you cascade the, the A to D converters nowadays, we have such you know resolution on them. If you cascade them, you can take that megavolt, minivolt of a mic level and take it up into the ones and zeros and convert it. Hmm. If you set the sound the way that the diaphragm sounds into it. And then you do whatever manipulation in the DSP. Do you need the sound of a pre? Interesting question. Yes, I, I guess everything, everything there would depend on the DSP. That 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 now becomes the pre, right? Or it becomes the sound of the pre. It, it becomes the sound of the pre. Exactly. Yeah, I'd be really interested in hearing basically the same console with and without the pre, just. You know, something to boost up the zeros and the ones at the to get it to the same level to accept into the console. You know, that's really interesting thought. <laughs> but see, if you if you're trying to change what the pre's doing through plugins and all the other stuff and turning EQ knobs and everything like that, why can't you just have a modeling program that is a DSP at the input card that models whatever you want it to sound like? Good point. That's very cool. Yeah. 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 I, I could see that use case with wireless, right? You just have a wireless mic, and then in the 
in, in, in the fixed part of the unit, they could stick all that circuitry in there and you could just burn in the sound you want on it. Yep. Kind of a Kemper for um, wireless microphones. You know, the the uh, Axiant, Shure's Axiant, when you bring them in Dante with all the parameters coming up on the console, you don't have access to the, uh, you know, I don't know if you have access to the preamp or not because the gain, the analog gain goes away on the console right. and and the, the gain knob becomes the output of the Shure and your, your console gain is on the digital preamp. So have we, doing that, have we bypassed the, the preamp in the console? If you're bringing it in, Dante, you have. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's what we do with Hotel California. We're Dante in now, and you only have a digital gain. Digital gain, right. In the yeah, and this is what I was thinking about for what Kurt and I were discussing last week, where he was saying that these Rio inputs on the Myers are supposed to sound better, and I kept thinking about that, and the next day I'm like, duh, they must be taking the digital input and that comes in after the um, analog to digital conversion for the amp, right? So they would just put that on and, and that's maybe why it sounds better. It's just one less step that the, that the cabinet doesn't have to do. Hmm. Yeah, that, uh, that sounds right. It's surprising to me that the people that I'm hearing say that, uh, that it sounds better, uh, mostly 4K and up. You know, it's people I've got to respect their opinion and tell you I got to try it. Wow. Yeah, this is a crazy world. Eric Featherstone are saying that it sounds better. And that's that's good enough for me to give it a shot. Did you it sounds like we're just pushing the analog and digital conversion further towards the source, and then then it's just gonna be digital the whole way after, right? Well, it's converted inside the galaxy. It's no, I'm, I'm just saying with the talk about microphones and, and oh, all yeah, of the yeah. other stuff, you know, that 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 could be what we're going to be seeing, right? I mean, could that, yeah, that's a wild thought. Kurt, did you ever talk to Jeremy this week? I texted him right after I missed that whole thing, and he Your didn't get back okay? to me. Until, he, he didn't get back to me until uh, today, and I had to drive all day. Oh, so I'll text him. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the flu. Oh, I've had to run the emergency room with. Uh, I have daughters that are allergic to red dye number two. We have now we have epipens. Oh, that was red like dye that. number two. Yep, Fresh. Wow. Wow, is there's a serious pro, there's analogy as the peanuts. That? Well, her throat swells up when she gets gets any of it. Oh, it's hard time wow. breathing. So you got to keep an eye on that. You it's like the shellfish later. allergy, same kind of reaction. She'll never know the benefits of a maraschino cherry then. <laughs> what benefit? <laughs> yeah, <right>. Pure sugar. <laughs> maraschino <laughs> cherry is kosher? Well, there's the title of the show, The Benefits of a Maraschino <laughs> Cherry. All right, I love it. David, did you get your, uh, your Dante accent thing all sorted? For me? Oh, yeah. It turns out that I ended up with the Sure on the phone to trying to figure this out. And he was saying that, uh, well, first of all, it, when I disconnected everything except the one Dante device, 
I was able to get it to work. So knowing that that could work, now it came down to an address issue. And in the, in the accent, sure doesn't really tell you how to change the, the name and the number of the address on the microphone. On the console was no problem. But on the microphone, you end up with like V001 and then a bunch of letters to delineate the difference between the different preamps. So I'm trying to edit out the letters and changing the names so that I have different names. And it turns out that if you push the knob and turn it, it goes from V001 to V02 and three and four. But they don't tell you that. They just say you have to have a different address. So first, I figured wow. out to change it to 002 and 003, and it works perfectly every time instantly. But it took me hours <laughs> of looking at videos online to find out that you can change the number by pushing in the knob. So yeah. it was a duplicate, it was a duplicate address. Yeah. That, duplicate that address, from, from right. They yeah. all come as 001, and I could get one to work. Actually, it was very weird. The the Rio had 001 also. And both of them would mount with 001. So that really confused the hell out of me. Well, but you I, could have a you could have a 1608 and a 3224 and call them both 001 because they're different units, though. It sees them differently. I've yeah, done that before. Yeah. yeah. It but is I a little confusing though. When uh, I number them, I number them one, two, three, four, five, six. I don't care what they are. I just start at one and I go. Yeah, to I would too, except I didn't know how to number them. It didn't really explain it. It just uh -huh. said you need to change, make sure they're different. So I changed the, the lettering. So yeah. that they were different, but anyway, I finally got it, and it worked perfectly every time, and everybody's happy. So you want to hear a stupid one with with the Axios? I was uh, a systems engineering uh, for a show that I I don't do that very often, so I'm not backstage fussing with these things that often. And I could not. I I had an eight pack of wireless mics, and it was all built in a rack and all concealed and all this hocus pocus, right? And I got everything built backstage, and we started to do go through sound checks, and I could not get audio out of the outputs and i sat in front of that stupid rack for hours and it said aes on the front and i couldn't find in the program where to change it to analog out well of all the of all the things you can do on the accent in the menus on the back of the unit there's a little toggle switch oh. and it says and it says AES on it. It took me four goddamn hours. And I finally watched a video and it said, oh, in the back of the console, I had to unscrew the rack, you know, and I reached in there and I flipped a little AES switch and boom, it worked. I felt like such an ass. It was so funny. I'm like, how many people actually have get stuck with stupid things like this, you know? Don't you go into the shop and prep it before you go out on a show? Sometimes, but not all that often. You know, like the thing I'm doing this weekend, I have a, a systems engineer out of Phoenix and it, the company is uh, Sierra Live in Las Vegas. And I'm not going to see the gear till Saturday morning until it rolls in off the truck. I'm depending on my systems guy who's works for them quite a bit, who's the uh, acoustics designer to make sure all the shit works. <laughs> so, you know. That seems like a really weird thing to not have available in the software menu. Isn't that strange? Yeah, it's a you little can remotely tiny. change the gain and all this other stuff. All kinds of stuff, but you can't. Yeah, the AES switch analog to AES is on the back of the unit next to the next to the uh, XLR connector. It's like oh, it's funny, God. Bruce. When I think of you, I never think of you as the man who likes to live on the edge. And now I realize you know what? I, I don't. Know you 
I don't like to live on the edge. I am so, I try to do things so thorough before I walk in the door because the other thing is, is, you know, people are hiring me to, 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 you know, to do their show and it behooves me. You know, I tell these companies that hire me all the time, you know, it makes you look good when I walk in the door with patch sheets and I know what I'm doing. If I don't know what I'm doing until I get there, that's not good for anybody. <laughs> you know, I build console files and I do routing patch sheets and all kinds of stuff so that, you know, when I get there with my crew, I start handing out sheets and we look at drawings and I guess I say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then we hit the, hit the ground running, you know, but uh, I am very thorough, but I don't get a chance to touch any of the gear 99% of the time until I get there. <laughs> So I have a question for you, technical question. How many pair of white gloves do you own? Well, you know, <laughs> none actually, because once I build front of house, which doesn't take me very long, uh, then I usually go in the back and tell my systems guy I'm his A2, and then I, I work with him to build. Because I would actually never get much time building the rig if I didn't go back there and, and help. So they're always amazed that I'm actually coming back from front of house to help them because... I guess a lot of sound guys don't do that. A lot of front of house guys. And I always do. You know, I can build front of house in a couple of hours and be up and running with all the computers and all the Dante stuff and everything. And then once I'm happy with where I'm at, I head backstage and I do whatever he needs me to do. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm his A2 until we're ready to start tuning. So, yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the night, are you loading the truck? Are you the truck loader? No. No. You know what? I always tell people it, longevity, seniority gets you nothing but out of the truck as far as I'm concerned. So I did my time. I even drove, pulled a tractor trailer. I pulled some shows myself because I had a trailer license for a long time. And, you know, at 68 years old, man, I once the gear is out of the room, I'm freaking done. <laughs> I, I, I get there my shit go. and I roll up to my room or I stop at the bar and I have a drink with a client. So <laughs> I'll pack up front of house and I'll, and I'll, and if, if the system is really racked up well, I'll even help pack up backstage. But usually by the time front of house is pretty well packed up and, you know, the guys have, uh, the racks are all ready to go and everything. And, you know, once the start, stuff starts rolling out the door, I'm done. <laughs> so, Ken, also, when was the last time you drove a truck? Me? Yeah. Oh. Uh, 1973? <laughs> I drive a non-CDL every now and then now. I go deliver stuff occasionally. Nobody's around, but we got people now that can do that. Uh, I gave up my... CDL, A license CDL in January of, uh, actually January of 20, because I was tired of having to put up with the DOT and, and help, you know, worry about my blood pressure and my eyesight. It's a pain <laughs> in the butt. No, it's a pain in the head, not in the butt. You know, he yeah. doesn't have, your truck drivers don't need a proctologist to get a license. You know, that's it. You know, it's, I was going to get mine during the pandemic, but I finally had the time. Because it's, there's quite a bit of time invested, and I just could never schedule to make all of those classes and everything. Uh, but no one was teaching it because so much of it had to be done in person. So the one time I had all the time in the world to get my CDL, no one was teaching it. You know, the funny thing about L.A. is I could not keep mine because after about, let's see, I moved out here. Staging Techniques moved me to L.A. in 1980. So it was probably, I had the tractor trailer, and I did, I built their trucks and scheduled all their shows and stuff like that, travel-wise. About 83, I didn't have time to drive anymore, so I was just engineering, and I started hiring drivers. And when uh, California wouldn't let me keep my license unless I was using it, and I wasn't using it. So, which really <laughs> bums me out, because, you know, 
to hop up in a tractor trailer and drive would it would be fun now once in a while i would really so love to do back it then, back then when did they go from the chauffeur's license to the uh cdl well i had a chauffeur's license in 83 that's what they took away from me and when i was in new york it was a class one which is the tractor trailer license you know and uh, that's where i actually got mine in 76 i think it was yeah and um you know, I don't know when they changed all the rules, but they wouldn't let me keep my license. The, I, the company had to vouch for me as a as a driver, or I lost. They they put me back down to a car license. You know, so that kind of sucked. <laughs> back back in the mid seventies, I was working for Maryland Sound, and they had tractor trailers, and they also had uh, straight body trucks, but they were freight liners with you know shifting without the clutch, the whole deal. Yeah. With, but they only had two axles. They didn't have a double axle in the back. Right. Anybody could drive it. So my California driver's license said, any two axle vehicle. So I was a truck driver for a while and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's fun. Um, as long as as long as the truck is built correctly and, and they give you enough time to get to where you're going. And the great thing is when I worked at Staging Techniques and I had the tractor trailers, you know, I was their sound guy, and I was also their, their the only guy that knew how to pull their trailer and could take care of their trailer. So I would schedule myself, you know, I you know to do whatever I needed to do, and it was very enjoyable. I had a great time. But um, you know, if it bends in the middle and carries more than eighteen thousand pounds, you got to bump up your license. <laughs> At least that's what it is here in California. But well, it's yeah. under twenty six is don't have to have a CDL, and then they got a B license goes up to thirty two. And yeah, there's there's a class in between there that for tractor trailer and car. Yeah, and the ridiculous he, thing, a three axle straight truck, which you can go to fifty six thousand on a B license, but anytime it's got a bend in it, you got to have a A class. Right, right. Yeah, but the truck, the twenty six foot, uh, twenty five nine 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 capacity uh, GVW truck, and the next one up that you get the class B. The only thing different about them is the thing that says on the door. There's some frame questions too that they have on certain ones. Yeah, it drives me nuts because it's always difficult to get enough now, enough to spin the truck. Yeah, who was at Maryland Sound? You were at Maryland Sound in the early days. What about Maryland Sound? You drove trucks at Maryland Sound. You what what years were you at Maryland Sound? Uh 75, 76. It was, uh, I mean, it, we had sound and lights in the truck. And was Larry were... Dropa still there or was there at that time or was he later? Who was this? Larry Dropa. No, he was later. And his wife. Interesting one. First time I had a Maryland sound show up down here, <clears throat> he was driving the truck. <laughs> All right. DA. Well, this was a 24 or 28 foot box and we fit in sound and lights and we had three guys. So one guy was in the sleeper and the other two were up front. And it was made, you know, a Freightliner could pull, what, 60,000 pounds or whatever it is that the trucks can pull. And it was it was like a hot rod because there was nothing in it. A 26-wood box, there was nothing in it. I mean, just didn't wait. I, I would always overbuild our trucks because, you know, when, when, when they'd hire drivers that didn't need CDLs, you know, they would always be backing over curbs and breaking rear ends and breaking springs. So I would over, you know, I would overbuild our trucks incredibly so that they couldn't thrash them, you know. But it made it so they could go up hills pretty quickly with a full load. <laughs> well, we had one time we were too heavy in the back, you know, only a single axle, so you can only carry so much weight in the back. 
Right. We actually had we were we had some Macintosh amplifiers. <laughs> we had to take an amplifier and stick it in a sleeper. Those great big huge tube ones. Those are heavy. Three hundred pounds, and we had to lift that <laughs> up and put it in the. We needed something that was small and heavy, and we stuck it in the sleeper to balance the truck out so we could keep driving. Oh, that's pretty. Other funny. than that, it was no. Uh, <laughs> and you tell that to the kids of today, and they just won't believe you. Hey, we had to go snow uphill both ways, back and forth to school. In, in the snow, uphill in both directions. Kids today don't want to touch a standard transmission. Dude, that's the, you know what? Standard transmission is a great anti-theft device. <laughs> Absolutely. And learning how to shift without the clutch, that was really uh, an experiment. And, but when it worked, it was great. You know, you really felt like you knew what you were doing. Did you double? You have the double clutch down too. No, so, you didn't use the clutch at all. If you well, got for, engine speed right for non-synchronous transmissions, you always have to double clutch. But yeah, I came through Manhattan one time with no clutch and, and shifted. You know, I'd gear down at the, at the light and I'd shut the engine off and I'd start. I'd start the engine in first gear because it was super granny gear. But you know, you'd go through ten gears before you were going twenty miles an hour. But you know, you. <laughs> But yeah. you know what? When you don't have any clutch, you do what you got to do, you know? <laughs> Did you ever lose your That's air right. brakes? <laughs> uh, lose them? No, but I had them freeze a couple times. I used to carry a a, a butane torch uh, in my glove compartment because um, when I when I had my, uh, when I first started out in the really early 70s, I had a, a huge tractor trailer dump truck and we would haul sand to the, to the counties in the, in the, in the towns, you know, to sand the roads in the wintertime. And I used to stop at a light and, and my brakes would freeze up <laughs> at the light. So I had, I had uh, uh, ammonia pellets that I could put in my air tank and I had this torch and I'd, I'd jump out of the truck at the light and I'd chalk my wheels and I'd crawl under the truck and heat up the bags and, and release the, you know, unfreeze them with my little torch. <laughs> and I'd hear them go in the, oh, that's hard to work. Oh man, that's oh, it drove me nuts. I would have to go through that every winter. It was just such a drag. I got wow, to how long it. did you do that for? I had my well, I had my truck for about a year and a half when doing sound was kind of a hobby. So yeah, and 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 when they they came out with automatic uh, pellet injectors for the airlines, so at one point you didn't have to do that anymore. I don't know what they do now because you know it's still all air brakes and, and bellows, you know. With, and I would imagine they'd freeze up still. So they must have some secret way of doing that, you know? I got to a gig a couple of weeks ago when it was really cold here. We had a really bad cold snap almost a month ago. And I pull inside the Tacoma Dome to start loading in, and the lock is frozen shut, frozen solid. And oh, fuck. No, no dice. So I ended up taking the key, which is an old trick I learned from my dad. Take the key, put it in there, and then you get a lighter and you heat up the key. Yeah, that the key <laughs> gets the heat inside and melts the ice that's inside the lock because we loaded the truck a couple days before and it was sitting, you know, in the yard and it was raining and then it was kind of ice storm thing and all the kids around were like they couldn't believe it. Uh, I got a I, I got a short funny one for you. Have you ever had to load into the Fairmont in San Francisco, Dave? You must have. Too many years ago to remember, but yes, they, uh, you know the Fairmont sits on top of the of the hill right there, and the the low the main entrance to the ballroom is all, on one hill on the one side, and the load in dock is on the other side. 
Well, the hill is so freaking steep that when you back, if you if you drive up and then back into the dock for a good portion of your trailer going into the into the hole that you back into, the trailer's like radically sideways until your tractor gets gets jacked around so that you can straighten out and then the trailer will straighten up. Well, you can't get in there if your truck's too long because you'll hit the wall, right? So we we had a forklift and we were going to load in off the street and I had just gotten fuel before I got there and I had parked the truck on the hill with the tail of the truck just sort of up on the curb over where they could get at me with a forklift really well and I had full fuel tanks. I had two 100-gallon fuel tanks and the, 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 the hill was so steep that the uh, the electronics for the gauges and stuff like that on top of the tanks started leaking. Well, by the time we had the truck like halfway unloaded, the the diesel had dribbled down the street and the truck started to slide down the hill. And what? <laughs> oh, fuck. 55, 52 foot trailer and a Kenworth cab over T500 cab over. And my truck is like, I could see it just ever so slowly. <laughs> creep down the hill and there's nothing i could do because it was on on diesel so i could get in and the tires weren't moving you know but it only it went about two feet and it got up against the concrete one of those big lighting old lighting things that has a big concrete base and luckily that held the truck right there and we finished unloading the truck and then we sort of scrubbed up the the pavement a little bit so that the tires would grab and threw some sand under there and and then i got out i was able to get out of there and i took the truck down to the down to the docks and stored the truck down there and then took a cab back so I could go do the show. But I'll tell you, nothing's more scary than seeing your tractor trailer slide down the hill back. Especially that hill. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, those hills are so steep. It was just scary. <laughs> it's amazing how people live, you know, that they want to live on those hills like that. Yeah. And the way they built it up. Yeah. We did Mack truck shows for Mack truck and Kenworth and Peterbilt, and we were in, for the Kenworth shows, we were in Ritz-Carlton's, and they wanted two tractors in the ballroom. So they hired some people to cut the doors out of the ballroom side of the building, and they took the smokestacks off and let the air out of the tires, and they got, like, you know, a bunch of people, and they pushed these tractors in through the holes that they cut in the side of the wall and across the, the hallway and into the ballroom. And got them positioned in the ballroom and then rebuilt the damn doors. But when they rebuilt them, they rebuilt them with, with lag bolts behind these like fake pieces of wall so they could open it up again if they ever wanted to get anything big in the ballroom again. But crazy stuff, man. There's a company here in Seattle that was, it's not me. Uh, they were doing a, a gig at the old Kingdom. And so full load loaded truck and everything. And they go through the roll-up door to drive into the field to you know, or the concrete to set up, you know, because it's you just drive the truck in. Yeah. So they get in just fine, you know, by an inch or two. And then they unload the truck. And, and it's up three inches. And they go driving straight out the loading dock and rip the entire roll-up door right off the building. I was at the yeah. Marriott in LA, LA, uh, LAX, and we, we unloaded the truck. And I actually had to leave the truck at where it was sitting next next to where the valet park was. They hated that because the truck was up too high and wouldn't fit under the pipes. Uh, it fit under the ceiling okay, but all the fire fire extinguisher pipes were like four inches below the ceiling. And my my truck was 13.6. So it was like, you know, 13.2 to the pipes. 
so I was the truck was positioned between the pipes when we were loading in. So when we got when we got everything out of the truck, it was too tall to get out. Yep. So we had to well, leave it there. Somebody for the week. they were hating that. At least they saw it. And because if you had if you had ripped those pipes off, oh my god, been. yeah, it would have been Ooh. scary. I'll tell you, wow, in what my... a diverse crowd! What a diverse crowd! Yeah, I tell you, what a you diverse crowd we are. To get out. <laughs> you couldn't drop the airbags to get out. Well, back then, we you know we had airbags for tag axles, but none of the trailers normally came with airbags. You know, on my dump truck, I had a third axle of airbags, and I had a on the tractor and a third axle on the trailer. And I used to go over the scales in New York, and the cops would come up to me and they say, "Hey, Bruce, you going to join the Weight Watchers Club this week?" And I said, yeah, and they said, what do you weigh? And, you know, and I'd tell them, and they gave me a ticket. But while I was going over the scales, they would do an axle at a time, and I'd reach down, and between my seats, I had valves with pumps, and I would go, and I'd, I'd shift the air in my axles so that, you know, so. and then they'd look at me, and they say, there's no way you weigh 50,000 pounds, man. you got, like, 40 yards of gravel on here. And I was like, no, 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 no. Just quit screwing with me, you know, <laughs> because I could change the weight, you know, on all my axles all the time. That's how the drivers with Brown United with those big, um, big poles back in the day, the big steel pole ones. They that's why they got over scales because they couldn't get underweight at all to get through anything there. You and know what? Keith in the <sighs> move it into his cab. You know what? New York State used to charge a hundred dollars for an overweight ticket, and Connecticut was by the pound, so I could never go to Connecticut. But um, back in the seventies, the New York State law was seventy two thousand three eighty. It's funny I remember that. And now I think it's like seventy four thousand for the whole country. And and I used to weigh in with 40 yards of mason sand. I'd weigh in at about 135,000 pounds. So, and, and uh, you know, I would I would do an overweight ticket every week. But it was worth it because I was making three trips a day, and it just wasn't an issue. So I would just pay the damn ticket. <laughs> and it wasn't a moving violation then. So I think it is now. I don't know. Have you ever been made unload? Say again? Have you ever been made unload? Yes. Yes, when I went to Connecticut one time, Connecticut's laws are a nickel a pound. And I weighed in at 137,000 pounds. And I was so overweight that they red tagged the truck, which basically meant we couldn't move it. They they put like a red handkerchief on the door, which meant, you know, you weren't going anywhere, you know. And they had to bring out three 10-wheelers and a backhoe and unload me on the side of the road because I was so much overweight. And that was the last time I drove to Connecticut with a full load. I had a 40-yard water level body, and I could only haul about 22 yards because that's I met their weight at 22 yards. It was just not profitable. I, just, I couldn't make any money driving to Connecticut. And we were so close to the Connecticut border, and I hauled sand and blacktop and all kinds of crazy shit, you know, and it just, there was just no going to Connecticut. Well, down here, <laughs> a lot of people have gotten rid of those tractor-trailer dumpers, and they go to those four-axle uh, dump trucks because they can still scale 80,000 pounds in the dumper. Oh, and they have the little trailers that they pull? They don't pull any trailers. They just do it's a four axle. Oh, really? Four axle, and they can get 80,000 pounds license on it and they can put it all, you know, they're legal. And it doesn't bend in the middle, huh? Nope. Wow. Down here in California, they have uh, they have tractor trailer dump trucks still yet, but they're like 16 yard bodies and they, they're like four wheel trailers and they just chain them together and they'll do like two or three of them. And then when they get to the site, they unhook and they just take one over at a time and they unload it. But not how very, do them, how do you let them go through bridges like that? Cause it's in a bridge weight limits that some of them. Yeah. Yeah. But the, but, but you know, a 16 yard bu uh, bucket isn't that heavy. 
Uh, let's see. I can't remember when I when I had. I used to do a ten wheeler every once in a while, and with a twenty two yard body. And I can't remember how much I weighed when I was doing that. I just know my my trailer was heavy as hell. It's too bad he didn't have digital gravel. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that that would have helped. Yeah. A lot of ones and zeros in the back of that truck. The other question is, is, is what day were you driving on it too? Because when I was in college, I used to have to come in on Saturday mornings because there were three truck drivers that came down out of the Red River Valley into Kansas City every Friday night because all the scales between there. All this, they were closed? They were closed. And and I never, it was from floor to ceiling in the truck of potatoes. And I never unloaded things less than 120,000. Wow. 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 It's amazing how so many, so many of us have something in common. I had no idea that you were a truck driver and all you guys, I mean, actually my very first job when I got out of the military was driving a, a meat truck and it was a big, big, Oh, I was like from the forties, this truck and you had a double clutch and it was like, I don't, I, it was like a nightmare to drive that. And uh, we would just drive it around from the, from one part of the plant. Uh, they had two buildings and I would drop, pick up the meat on one side and have to drive it to the other side of town to where it would be fabricated. But other than that, you know, I never knew anything about anything about the truck other than you put the key in and had to drive it. It was a nightmare to drive that truck. It was like, you know, but that was, oh, the, that, that, was, was the state that, that was before power steering or anything, man. I used to have to put oh, my yeah, 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 feet yeah. up on the dashboard to crank that wheel around, man. It was scary. So I have oh, a little man. a little thing that a lot of you guys could probably relate to. When I was in high school, right, I played the drums, which is what got me into this whole mess to begin with. And uh, there was um, there's a little town over in Red Hook, New York called Rock City. You know where we're going with this? And the sound company that a guy had in his garage with a bunch of old A7s was Rock City Sound, and it was Sheldon Leonard. And and uh, and he used to come and do. Our band used to play all the all the the dances at the junior high and the high school. And his he, he would come and do the sound for it, and I would always help him. And then when he uh, did the Dutchess County Fair, I would always do one of his stages, and that's what got me into this whole mess. And you know, Sheldon became. Uh, let's see, Rock City Sound for the long time, and then he's partnered up with a couple people. Now, now the company has evolved to uh, they're in Red Hook, they're they're um, Firehouse. And what was Firehouse before it was Firehouse? It was one other company, but that company that's the old Rock City Sound. So you guys didn't you? Any of you guys? Rock City, that's right. Yeah, Sheldon. Do you guys remember Sheldon at all? I mean, he's East I Coast don't guy. Remember. But, no, but. Yeah, so that's that's my my way back history. That's what got me into this mess. <laughs> I think Brian now runs uh, Firehouse, right? Firehouse. Yeah, I, I don't also. know. I, I haven't talked to him for a while. I did a couple of gigs for him maybe ten years ago, and then I kind of lost track of him. But the last time I spoke with him, they were doing the wireless for the NBA during COVID. And well, they do um, some pretty high end stuff, you know, kind of like ATK, you know, they've got into the whole that whole broadcast stuff. They do a lot of corporate in Vegas. They got that shop in Vegas and everything. I saw Brian at the Parnelli Awards a couple weeks ago, and he said he just uh, he's buying a new 104,000 square foot warehouse a little farther north from from where he is now. Really? Yeah. So the rock, um, um, firehouse, right? Firehouse. Yeah, because he's he's just south of uh, Red Hook right now, and there's not much north of him until you get up to Albany. 
Claremont. There's a couple little towns up through there, oh, little New England towns. He's gone up. He said a little farther north. I'm not sure where. You did a good wow, research. Wow, wow. Oh, Red Hook is such a beautiful town. It's just. Hey, speaking of New York and that, was Silverfish Audio in that part of the uh, New York, or was it? I know the name, but I have no idea where they were. How'd it go? Bye, everybody. Bye, David. Thank Take you, care, Dave. See you next week. Have a, have a good week. Bye-bye. All right, let's talk about him as soon I'll as you leave. Air warm. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah, talk about me now. I'll keep your hair <laughs> warm. Silverfish Audio moved from New York to, Cal to San Diego, and it was in New York, it was uh, Ross Riddle, Dave Shadone. Um, Dave, Joey really? In, wow. I can't remember where in New York it was. I thought it was Eastern New York, but it might be Western. I didn't know if they were part of that red, in that Red Hook area. Yeah, no, it's an absolutely gorgeous area, the Hudson Hudson Valley. Yeah, you know, it is. Between New York and Albany, there's just a whole lot of beauty. West Point and all those areas, just gorgeous. That's where I grew up. <laughs> well, there you go. Yep. What town I, did you grow up in? Just outside of Poughkeepsie. Okay, and what's the last four digits of your social? Oh, no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's well, it's probably the same as yours because you're you're a New Yorker too, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a New Yorker too. Yeah. I was born and raised in New York, but then I moved out to California. And, what year? Uh, yep, um, I moved to California in 1970. Went oh, to school wow. there, and then went back to New York in 1972, and then came back to California about 1974. Yeah, 19, 1980, I made the trek. I worked for Staging Techniques in New York as a freelancer and dealing with their tractor trailer since nobody knew how to deal with it. And they said, how about we hire you full-time? You can start our LA office and take the damn truck with you. And I said, okay. And yeah. so that was... That was Those the were the days, my friend. That, that was the beginning of that. <laughs> what was that drive across the country in the truck like? Oh, it was great. I did it six or seven times. I've done it in my car four or five times. I love to drive across the country. Although when we came across, I was getting ready for Avon tour. So we had to come fast. So I hired another driver and we did it in like four days and we never shut the truck off because it was a big to cab me, over sleeper. To me, the worst part about driving across the United States is going through Texas. It seems it like takes forever, forever and ever to go and, through Texas and there's and, nothing there. Yes. In the 80 across, uh, I don't want to say Montana, but I don't think it's Montana. Like after you pass Illinois, then all it is for like, hundreds of miles is cornfields and if North you don't Dakota, yep yep if you're driving a car you're screwed because you can't see any farther than the first row of corn on each side of the car but if you're on the freeway and you're driving a tractor trailer this was the cool thing i'll never forget this site you could drive along and you can look across 20 10 or 20 miles of cornfields and see a tractor trailer going in the other direction with all the lights on top and the little smokestacks and everything. And we could flash our lights on each other. And in the sunset, it was it was just a picture out of a book. It was just absolutely amazing. And I ever done, ever done a run at evening when you went from like uh, Bozeman, Montana down to Denver across Wyoming. Yes, it's so what beautiful. A, oh my god. Evening, it's gorgeous. It's so beautiful. So what was your CB handle? Oh God, I don't even remember. That was so long ago. I had one in my pickup truck and I had one in my truck too. And I don't I don't remember. It was probably something really stupid because I said a lot of really stupid things. I still say stupid things, but <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thanks. Yeah, I, I want you to know, but I appreciate you sharing them right here. You know, this is this is, this is great. You know, you know what? This nobody is will good. argue with you. These are this is great story time. I like to hear everybody's backgrounds and you know yeah. and where everybody's from. It's just a lot of fun. I've actually uh, I've still got a CB in in my uh, forerunner, but then I added a uh, GMRS radio, which is pretty cool. With GR GMRS, you can if you use repeaters, you 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 can really talk. So is that long. a ham? Is that a ham radio? No, it's not. GMRS. Oh. The, the, the GMRS is kind of the big brother of FRS. So FRS are these like little Motorola walkie-talkies that you can just buy at, at at Costco or you know off Amazon, and they're not over like a watt and a half or two watts max. And you don't need a license to use those. Oh, they're on the they're on the same frequency spectrum as GMRS. And with GMRS, you're allowed to go up to 50 watts, but only on like the high six channels. But at 50 watts uh, from Los Angeles, I can hit a repeater and I can be talking you know, 120, 200 miles away. Sometimes going across Texas with my CB radio, you know, it would be a really clear night. And they, we used to call them skips. I don't know what they were yeah, technically called. Away. Oh, yeah. No, oh, man, I can't believe <laughs> That's great. Yeah, no, I... when, when, when the atmospherics, when, uh -oh. when the atmospherics and the sun and all of that stuff is, is I'd be, lined I'd be, up. I'd be going across the 40 and out in the middle of absolute nowhere on the top of the little notch of Texas right there. I'd be talking to some truck driver on the same freaking highway 100 miles away. And that would you never bet. happen normally. <laughs> that's right yeah skip wave yeah that, yep. that that's that's atmospheric conditions and that you have to remember that you know cb is like nine meters i mean it's a really long waveform um as compared to gmrs which is uhf in like the 460 hmm. megahertz area and uh so yeah i mean that's just apples and oranges but uh, i've uh i I've found that very few people in California use their CBs. I, I drove across country in my Forerunner. I bought it in uh, in Raleigh because when I went to, uh, I, I'm sure some of you might be able to appreciate this. I went to Toyota of Hollywood, and and this was a couple of years ago. And I wanted to buy a Forerunner, and the guy's like, "Yeah, you know, just so happens that the car you want just came in on a truck this morning so you know come on down so go over to toyota hollywood and the car is for for the for the off-road premium you know trd off-road premium the car is around 48 yeah more or less depending on what options you get on it but it's pretty much in that ballpark so i get over there look at the car and i'm like okay yeah it's the car i want I'll come in and have a seat. So he writes up the offer and he hands it over to me. And it's like around 60. And <laughs> I, I'm I'm just looking at the guy going, I, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Is, is there an option or is there some kind of trim package that's on this vehicle that I'm I'm not aware of? Because, you know, when I've been looking at the car, it's, you know, lists for around 48, depending if you get cat back exhaust and, you know, some other shit on it. And then the guy's like, oh, no, 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 it's it's 12,000 uh, over list just to get the car in Los Angeles. 12 grand just to take delivery. So I went home, researched who had a, you know, very highly favorable Toyota dealership. And it turns out there's one in Fred Anderson and Raleigh. So 
I bought the car in Raleigh and drove it home. Yeah, the, yeah, California. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they do this anywhere else. You guys probably can chime in on that one. But even during COVID, when you know we were in our supposed car shortage or whatever, you know, dealerships had markups on cars that were just scary, amazing, and some of them even still yet, which is really funny because electric cars are, you know, had huge dealer markups on them, and now they now they have. Now they can't freaking sell them. <laughs> no, which, yeah. they're, they're, which I think is great. Fuck them. Well, yeah. during, no, no. during COVID, the, the, the big thing was pickup trucks. Everybody wanted pickup trucks. Everybody wanted they, pickup they, trucks. They were no 10,000 over the window sticker. In some around here, in some my uh my buddy, he, he uh his family owned a dealership and they sold it last year. But he said that in some cases he was getting calls from all over the country. People willing to pay thirty, forty thousand dollars over the window sticker for them to hold it so they can come get it. That's so ridiculous. That's how bad they oh, wanted. I couldn't get gas. I had a Toyota 4Runner, you know, the LS model. And I every time I'd go get gas, somebody would come up to me and say, "Hey, you want to sell your car?" And I would hear it, and you know, at lights, everything. I mean, you know, but I didn't sell it. I ended up selling it after, and I still got more than my fair share for that car. So, Chris, I knew a couple people that went to other states to buy cars, and the markup wasn't that that much. But still, if you know, if it takes you, you know, half a day to get to another state, I mean, you've easily saved save the money, even if you stay overnight and have a good dinner. <laughs> oh no, I mean, I, plus the the beautiful thing is, so I took a Forerunner and uh, and and I had it trailered over to uh, a place called Apex Overland. And they did the build. So I, you know, raised the suspension about three inches, put on some really nice rims, Maggiolini, Maggiolina roof tent and uh, ARB uh, air compressor for, our, for weighing down there in Australia, plus the ARB awning and, uh, and you know, rock sliders and gosh, I just, you wow. know, put a whole gear on that car and then four-wheeled i never got on a highway so it took me i think i took six weeks and you know we were just taking our time no, no hurries at all but i just went off-roading never got on a highway until vegas that, that was where there was like really no choice to kind of get back to la after vegas but uh, wow you actually found trails all the way across the country Yes, well, not 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 off road now. So obviously, there were sections where you could get to A to B actually off road. But uh, what we were doing was just taking very small highways. So there's an option on Google Maps where you can just tell it avoid highways, and that's what I did. And uh, it I was, thought that was just avoid freeways. No, it it avoids highways. So I I uh, well, I guess it it avoids you know kind of the big interstates. Yeah. Did you and uh, we, but we we took small roads, so it was fifty five hundred miles to traverse the United States. So it sounds to me like you were a true Los Angelian because you bought an off road car and you've never been off road with it. I love it. Oh you know? yes, I have. Oh yeah, no, my my. Oh, he uh, sounds pretty hardcore. <laughs> no, no, no. My my uh, my my boy. Well, he was in the Marines. He's out now. But uh, yeah, we we used to do. Uh, we we've been camping and skeet shooting and you can do all that stuff here on on Bureau of Land Management land. Uh, you can bring your firearms and you can shoot skeet or targets or whatever you want. Where are you? There you go. Uh, there's a few of those big big um, American uh, Chevys turning up around here lately. 
Now they're they're a big piece of machinery. Well, they they're stopped like, making the Holdens. Yeah, they did. Yeah, well, so then they're going to ship the Chevys there because they quit building the Holdens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they—I was—I pulled, I pulled up next to one of the um, traffic lights the other day, and I thought it's nearly double the length of my car. <laughs> in, in in the states, when you go to a survey, the the Bowsers must be bigger spacing, are they? Are they spaced bigger than what they would be here? Otherwise, you. Oh, I think I, I. I mean, I lived in Europe for twenty years. Just just the size of the car spaces in America compared to the parking spaces in Europe is just <laughs> laughable. Yeah. 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 You, you 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 could never i mean and there were some people that had you know a couple of people brought over hummers and complex vehicles and had to jump through all the hoops to get them into europe but you know trust me that's a vehicle you would never drive to paris you know you just have to keep it out in the out in the back country and then you're fine but uh, trying to circulate in european towns with these big cars is really tough really tough have, have you watched the Grand Tour season four when they did the uh, lockdown? When they questioned about why didn't Englishmen people like American cars? And so they decided they would get American cars and drive through Scotland and find out why. And they showed up with the 72 <laughs> Buick Riviera with that teardrop back window. <laughs> they had a Coupe de Ville and a uh, Mark IV. And they tried to went through the center of Edinburgh. They hit trash cans, run people off the oh, street. Oh, God, those guys are so funny. I just love those guys. But you talk about cars that wouldn't fit right. You know, those <laughs> those big early 70s boats. Oh, those uh, things are a whale, man. You know, B-52s, you know, it's hopping my Chrysler. It's as big as a whale. It's about to set sail. Yeah, I mean, those cars back then were just gigantic. Yeah. yeah. So I had a friend who had a Riviera convertible and I had I had to I had to run back to his house to pick something up from a show and we were at the LAX and I went back on the 405 and when I got back down to the show he says well what took you so long and I said well I had your top down and people were trying to land on me on the freeway they thought I was an aircraft carrier <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid we had we had a Riviera we had a Riviera we had we had mostly had Cadillac Coupe de Ville's that's what we had you know well, you didn't have a deuce in a quarter uh, no, 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 no. I was I wasn't really big into cars, although the GTO was out then and the Dodge Charger was out then and all that. You know, that the, my friends had that. You know. well, well, Kurt, I'm, was, I'm impressed. The the Your background was, changed to the big big rig. <laughs> the one that was popular ah. when I, I remember in high school was the Dusters, the Plymouth Duster. Oh, that was my first Duster. car. Three that was Ford, my very first car that I owned. Actually, my first car was a Ford Falcon, but the the Duster was my first car that I bought new. Oh, the Duster with the three sixty. Oh, scary! Yeah, <laughs> even the Chevrolet Super Sports. Those were great cars. My brother had one. My uncle I had yeah. it, and he gave it, loaned it to my brother. It was an Oldsmobile four forty two. I had and, a sixty six oh, SS. Nice. That a, was a beast. I had a 66 hey. SS with a 396. Yeah. It was scary car. It was scary yeah. car. 7 miles. My favorite the... car that I ever owned though was a was a Mercedes SL500, you know, the coupe. And I still have a picture of me, me in it. I just look so good in that car, you know. Ooh, nice. Did anybody yeah. watch oh, the Super Bowl wow. and see the commercial about from Mercedes commercial when they were talking about you get different environments and they had the one where it says it could be entertainment 
and they had the Dolby Atmos logo behind them on the on the wall. No, but they're on YouTube if you want to watch them. But nobody saw that. So they're tying Dolby Atmos in Mercedes now. Oh, yeah. In the old S, uh, well, it's not that old, but in the very fancy Mercedes SLS, they had the, uh, oh, what's that scam? Bang & Olufsen sound in, uh, in, in Mercedes. Have you seen the new Jeep Wagoneers, those $100,000 piece of shit Chryslers? Yeah. The crew, over. they got Macintosh stereos in them. And on the dashboard is the famous one and only that I love so much, the big blue meters. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's so sexy, I can't even believe it. In a cheap Wagoneer, you know, really. Wow. A cheap Wagoneer, $100,000 Unbelievable. The, the, the base one starts at like 90 and 96 or something. It's absolutely ridiculous. So the Mercedes yeah. would be object-based driving then? <laughs> By the way, I just saw the movie Ferrari. You know, not not Ford and Ferrari, but Ferrari it was pretty good. It was very it's, interesting. Those cars, the Ferrari cars, are just amazingly beautiful. But you know, the Ferrari movie was more about the man and not necessarily his history of cars, which I enjoyed. But I thought there'd be more car stuff in it than there was. Yeah, but the race might, scenes are really good. You know, the the the, yeah, the yeah. tour de France or the tour to whatever it is, tour to uh, tour to Italy, wherever they were driving around. Don't ruin it for me. I haven't seen it yet. Has anybody seen, has anybody seen Gran Turismo yet? Yes, wonderful with, movie. Yeah, with Clint, with Clint Eastwood, that one? No. No, that's Gran Torino. Yeah, oh. not, not Torino. <laughs> Teresa. <laughs> yes, couple couple times I've seen it. It's really quite good. It's a true story, too, which makes it even better. I wonder how, how much of all the stories is true, how much was done for for, you know, whether it really was at his last chance before he won well you know i don't know you know you got a good point uh, the, the the basic gist of the story actually happened but you know kind of interesting who's in that movie <laughs> who's in that movie is that bradley cooper no um who uh um the guy that played the head mechanic uh he's a, he's a good actor but he's he's not in any like really super big time stuff he was in uh Stranger Things, he played the cop in Stranger Things. God, I can't remember yeah. his name. Um, and he did a great job. And then who else was in it that I don't know that anybody else was. Oh, 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 the guy from the Nissan, uh, the sales guy from Nissan. Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom. Yeah. And he did he did a good job, but it wasn't that that big of a part. But yeah. Yeah, they were I really mean, the only two names. TV lately. They they seem if they're watching they seems like they're really trying to push this Barbie movie for the Academy Awards and I just don't get it. Did you see it? Oh yeah, I did see it. It was a great movie. Yeah, it's pretty it, funny. You know, it was much different funny. than what I thought it was going to be about. <laughs> yes, it, it was much different than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, but it was basically you know more about you know uh, oh the woman's rights and that kind of stuff about that you know it was more a woke movie. Yeah, but it was it was yeah. I thought it would be a lot worse. I wasn't looking forward to seeing it, and my wife wanted me to see it. And but you know, everybody dressed up. It was so funny. I mean, you know, uh, all these people go to the movie wearing pink pink skirts, and you know, all the even the guys. You know, we we have weird guys in California. I don't know what the deal is with that, but you know, it was it was it was fun. Man, you guys, their merchandising is off the hook. Good. Oh, I totally, mean, it's totally. Everywhere. 
it, you know, I walk to the mall here and almost every every shop in the mall has got some sort of Barbie display of what they want to sell with pink. It's crazy. I mean, it's like, you know, everybody's wearing Barbie T-shirts and Barbie so, this and Barbie so, that. So, Jan, you're in Thailand. Is it the lady boys all dressing up like Barbie? You know what? Where I am right now, there are no lady boys. Now, when I was really? in Bangkok, <laughs> yeah, yeah, here in Rawai, there's no, you know, this is more of a um, uh, an expat community. So uh, there's really not a lady. I, I, I mean, if there are, I haven't seen many of them. Uh, but then again, I would. What I don't know what I'm looking for. And the other thing is, is now that I'm in a relationship, I kind of got, I kind of got blinders on, because when you know when I was single, I would be looking at everything, and you know. But now that I'm in a relationship, I really don't uh, find myself my eyes wandering because I'm the happiest I've ever been in a relationship, and just, so it does. It just know, doesn't I'm, interest me. I am very happy for you. I think that's great. Just because you know? you're on a diet doesn't mean you can't look at the menu well there's that also but <laughs> you know what the strangest thing is you know the strangest thing is is that you know i'll see it in my peripheral and i won't think any but then if there was somebody really good looking Bo will say to me did you see that girl over there and and i said yeah you, you know and i gotta look again just to make sure oh yeah yeah she's cute <laughs> you know but i have to be careful what i say because i don't want to go the wrong way you know you guys know what i mean <laughs> Hey, John Edelson, how are you? Doing fine. It's been a while since I uh, checked in here, so I saw to see how the... Uh, the hey, game. how are you? Hey, look, I love your t-shirt. If you're given joy, I get joy all the time. And you've <laughs> given me some joy just to see you. Well, Jan, I think you're the uh, the love story. You know, yeah, well, they, if you follow just... me on Facebook, it's, uh, you know, you can't believe everything you read. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the meals you're eating seem to look pretty good. You know that. Oh my God! Yeah, I'm at that age the where food. I look at food more than I look at anything else. What can I say? The food in Thailand is you. Even the Seven Eleven has good food. I mean, really. So, well, Thai month, is my my favorite uh, food. I, I could I could live on Thai food only. I I really like Thai food. We found the Thai restaurant. It's called uh, the Hut. And it's right down the street from here. And it's all Thai and it's authentic Thai. And I went out to lunch with a friend yesterday. It was the first time I'd eaten there. It was so amazingly good. And the portions were really big. And the two of us ate lunch. We both had chicken dishes. We had salad. We had spring rolls. And it came to $10 US. You know, it was like, I'm a 10 bucks you know yeah. it's just crazy how good the uh, how good the food is and how inexpensive it is you for, bet. Uh, for for long you know anyway i didn't cover one story not one story that i uh i thought i was going to talk about today you guys took it away uh, you know that you know the preamp i'm amazed i stayed awake during that story <laughs> of the preamps uh, you know Amazing. <laughs> then we started talking about truck driving and oh my God, I said, wow, what, you know, like I hadn't thought about driving a truck in so many years, but it, you know, once it's in you, it's in you. We haven't That's heard, from the, although we haven't heard about truck driving from the crazy Australian where they don't really have roads and they have trailers like four or five. Nine miles long. Yes. Yeah, driving. They have tractor trailer trains there. 
Yeah, they, have, they, they like 500 catchers. gallons of fuel. It's like 250 on each side. I did, we did pull up one day at the um, a servo up there near Broome, and um, they're like 200 kilometres apart. The towns up there. One day, and we pulled up into this servo, and there's one of the one of the semis in there, and it's got four full length trailers hooked up to it. It was just, I've got some photos of it somewhere, but there's also a picture somewhere up. You know, where, have you ever heard of um, Longreach? There's a town up in, uh, actually, it wasn't Longreach. Um, it was Winton. Winton. Anyway, the, the, it's the longest, I think it's got the Guinness Book of Records, the longest truck. So it's, it's a one prime mover and it goes, I don't know how many trailers. Google it up and have a look. But it's got about, uh, I think, 20 trailers. And it has to, has to be able to pull it for so long. The, uh, yeah. But the, but the four, three is fairly, you get three trailers a bit, but uh, our roads are pretty good now. I think they are. Yeah. When you go well, across well, Australia, you do, you have, do you have lighting in one truck, sound in another truck, and staging in, in LED wall in another truck? They used to do that, all of that, yes. Yeah, I think they still do sometimes, but maybe not when you're doing Sydney and Melbourne. But, yeah. but back in the day, I remember uh, when... Do you know? Have you have you heard of a band called Men at Work? Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, Men at Work. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they were doing their regional tour, and I think they'd just come back from the states. And it's the biggest regional, like go to towns that are the size of Wagga, you know, forty thousand people. Biggest regional tour I've ever seen. They had a bus for the crew. They had uh, they bought their own generators for the lighting. And I got on the loading crew. There was a semi worth of audio. There was 26 footer for, um, so when we unloaded the truck, so I got in the crew, there were, and uh, when we unloaded all the stuff, the venue, there was no floor space left. <laughs> the whole, where all the punters were going to be, all the people who did the show, there was no space left until it got set up. It was, and it was, a, it was quite a big space, you know, you could hold 1,500 people, but there was no space left in that. That's the largest one I've ever. Ever, ever seen the uh, but I've got some truck stories too, but I'll keep them from another another day. I could tell you so now. Are you on your way to see Taylor Swift? Is that it? Is that what you is that what you're talking about? Yeah, you, have you become out, a Swifty. You know, he's, he's a Swifty. He's a Swifty. He's on his way to see Taylor Swift. <laughs> and uh, all of the uh, all of the talking about trucks, I do have to share a website with you. So there's some guy in the United States that lives above, and he's got an apartment building, looks right down at a bridge that is 11 foot, eight inches. And, and, and the Chicago. people just completely ignore all of the flashing lights and signs and chains and all of the shit that they have up there. So he has a website called 11 foot 8 which is 11 f o o t and then numeral 8.com and he just basically has his gopro running all 24/7 and he just lifts the accidents off and puts them up onto the internet and god i am telling you Christopher i hate to admit seen. it but i've sat there and watched that for longer than anyone should you know <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
in California, going going out of Redlands to Palm Springs, there was a bridge that was like twelve and change, and uh, all the trucks would come up the hill going really slow, and they'd have to get off and go through the light and then get back on again because the bridge was so low. And about ten oh, years ago, about, right on the ten, the ten freeway, and they about fifteen years ago they they tore that bridge down and rebuilt it. Now it's got like now it's like fifteen feet, but oh yeah, it's just scary. It is just one hurts you know, rental truck yeah. after another, just decapitating, right just rips. And then people even with, uh, with like motor homes where it just rips the air conditioners off, just, just, just rips them off. And then, and then, you know, the famous, you know, truck where they, where they're actually stuck under the, under the bridge. And then there was a kid that, you know, that famous story in, in somewhere, I don't know where, but the guy that drove a truck into a tunnel and it got stuck and they couldn't get it out. And the kid's like, well, why don't you let the air out? And so they let the air out of the tires. And oh, God, out. that's a story. That's a sales story. I can't believe that's really true. <laughs> but uh, oh, if you I, say it is, I believe you. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, hey, I, I think it sounds good. It sounds that. good. Sounds good. Hey, listen, one last thing I want to ask Ken Porter. Beyonce came out with a, a country western song. What are the people, what are the people saying in Nashville? What country was it? Uh, well, it's like number one in the Billboard. First, first uh, black woman to have a number one song on the Billboard country charts. Uh, I haven't heard it, but I haven't listened over. I've been listening to blues lately. Yeah. Craziest thing here when, when when I you know it's funny you know like Bo listens to a lot of a lot of music and somehow she found the country station on YouTube Music and she plays this country music on and it, it's just not for me I mean I can handle everything else. all right so so ask Bo if it's country and western or if it's country and western. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so, everything so who is Bo's favorite is artist on country does anybody see the video with rob beato that uh, so there's a company out there that analyzes charted music so it looks at what tunes are on the chart and then the ai goes out and analyzes the music of the song that's on the chart and rick beato had a video out of like two or three love four that days guy ago. love rick beato love and, him. and uh fascinating yeah, he's fascinating so um Holy smokes, uh, just, I mean, you should watch the video, but just in two seconds, song lengths are getting shorter. Country has, has, has grown just dramatically. Pop is pretty much stable. Rock's back on the rise. Hip hop is on the way out. Uh, big drop in hip hop songs that chart. And, and uh, just a whole bunch of really interesting uh songs with um explicit content uh are on the drop good and really just... i love that song by gail called a b c d e f u have you heard it oh my god it, it's it's very oh. good it's re it's really actually a good song and so she was on a tour but she got exhausted from being on tour so she went off tour. i was down at a bar last friday that was doing Americana music. They had a guy singing. He wrote the song. And he says, "Yeah, this is this is how I met my first wife." And it said, "said Yeah, she was beautiful. So I grabbed her by the hair and drug her across the piggly wiggly parking lot, and she lost one of her pink pink uh, flip flops." 
<laughs> Actually, sounds like Gosh. a blues, blues tune. <laughs> and we knew it was love. Yeah. Anyway, you know who she's speaking of blues and country? So she seems to like Ellie King's new song, you know. And of course, Ellie King is, you know, like, you know, heavy, heavy guitar and, you know, rock and roll. And, you know, but she's done a country song and Bo seems to really enjoy that. She plays that over and over again. I guess it's better than playing Taylor Swift and Dua Lupa over and over again. That's for sure. Anyway, we're going to go offline. We're going to, we're going to, we'll stay here. Just remember if you've, if you've made it this far and you're still listening, you're amazing. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) It just shows you've got no life whatsoever. (laughs) And I appreciate you sharing it with me. That's all I could say. You know, uh, remember everything you heard is an opinion and we'll be back again for 197th meeting today. What's today's the, the 22nd uh, of, uh, of of February next week uh, will be, I guess, the 20. No, it's the 22nd where I am. It's the 21st where you are. So it's the 28th uh, next week will be our 197th show. And we'll cover some of the stories that we didn't cover today that I wanted to. So well, remember, well, you make it happen. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And we'll see you again next week. And with that, we're off the air. So we have to talk about, has anybody been to a trucker's rodeo? I don't even know if they do them anymore. <laughs>